All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories to Shishu Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Today is Tuesday, March 3rd. 2020. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 6, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadev, Text 1. Sutta Uvacha Evam Nishyama Bhagavan Devarsha Janma Karmacha Bhuya Papracha Tambraman 
the powerful incarnation of God, Devarshe, of the great sage among the gods, Janma, birth, karma, work, cha, and Buya, again, Papracha, asked, Tam, him, Brahman, O Brahmanas, Vyasa, Vyasadev, Satyavati Sutaha. Sorry, Satyavati Sutaha. The son of Satyavati. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sutta said, O Brahmanas, thus hearing all about Narada's birth and activities, Vyasadev, the incarnation of God and son of Satyavati, inquired as follows. Purport. Vyasadeva was further inquisitive to know about the perfection of Naradaji, and therefore he wanted to know about him more and more. In this chapter, Naradaji will describe how he was able to have a brief audience with the Lord while he was absorbed in the transcendental thought of separation from the Lord and when it was very painful for him. Om Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurun Minisam Jaina Dasmai Shri Guruve Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadandaikam when will Srila Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadhadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadhadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. 
So we finally finished up chapter 5, and we are now starting chapter 6. And Vyasadeva is asking more about Narada Muni. He wants to learn more about his spiritual master. And this is very natural, right? Like, when we have someone we admire and respect, we want to know all about them. And I discussed the last time that, you know, when I was watching the tutors and I wanted to know more about King Henry. But also, you know, like, when I met my spiritual master, I wanted to learn more about him and his life and we always enjoy hearing stories. Last week we celebrated the disappearance day of Tamal Krishna Goswami and we got to share stories. And it's always great to hear stories because we get to see the um, Shakti, the power, the, the uh, um, I guess, I guess power is the best word, that they were able to accomplish so much in spreading Krishna consciousness. And it can be very inspirational and motivating um, I know when I watched uh, the Hare Krishna movie um, a few years ago, it really impacted me in a way that um, other stories about Srila Prabhupada did not. So, you know, I've read the Lilamrita, Srila Prabhupada Lilamrita, and I've read other stories and accounts, but seeing the movie, seeing the way it was filmed and the story was told, it really made a difference in the consciousness that I had about Srila Prabhupada and, you know, realizing what exactly he did to bring Krishna to America and to the rest of the world. And to me, it was very inspirational and it made me um, question and introspect a little bit more, like, what am I doing to help him in this mission? How am I contributing, you know, um, to this mission of spreading Krishna consciousness everywhere. And, you know, that was one of the big things when I was watching the movie. You realize how much Prabhupada sacrificed to do so. You know, his health, I mean, this is the time in his life where he's supposed to just kind of chill and relax and, you know, retired life, kind of hang out in Vrindavan and, and you know, meditate and do his thing and instead he decided to come to America where things were tough I didn't realize how tough it was in the beginning for him and that there were so many times he thought of like just turning back um, and then you know just and I'd mentioned this before the scene where he's dictating um, the Srimad Bhagavatam even with his last breath he's dictating the Srimad Bhagavatam. And that gives us an idea that reading is so important. So, you know, that's what uh, Vyasadeva is doing here. He's asking more about Narada Muni so that he can feel inspired and he can write this um, text that he's been given the assignment to write, Srimad Bhagavatam. So he's asking more, you know, he's inquiring more about Narada Muni and his experience and what has he, you know, gone through. So over the course of the next, I guess, few weeks while we go through chapter six, we'll learn more about what Narada Muni is doing or has done to see Krishna and, um, you know, how we can also achieve that. So the other thing is that Vyasadeva is inquiring about inquiring from Narada Muni. And Narada Muni is his spiritual master. 
And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 434, just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized souls can impart knowledge unto you because they have seen the truth. This is exactly what Vyasadeva is doing. He's inquiring submissively from his spiritual master. And this is a really profound example because Vyasadeva, we know, is is a an incarnation of God, Krishna, with specifically with the um, he's empowered to write the Vedas, to write everything down because um, in Kali Yuga we don't have the memory that we used to have in previous um, ages. So things need to be written down, whereas before we could just hear it once and remember it. And so he's been given this task of writing everything down. And so here is, you know, Vyasadeva, an incarnation of Krishna, and he's still accepting a spiritual master. He's still inquiring submissively from him. So that, that gives us an indication that, you know, we as fallen conditioned souls, the only way we can attain any kind of spiritual knowledge is by inquiring from a spiritual master. And Narada Muni is considered like the original spiritual master. So Krishna instructed Brahma, who then instructed Narada Muni, who then passed it down to Vyasadeva. And Vyasadeva wrote the Srimad Bhagavatam. So because of Narada Muni, we have texts like the Srimad Bhagavatam. And Narada Muni is not only um, the spiritual master for Vyasadeva, and not only did he inspire him to write the Srimad Bhagavatam, but he is also the spiritual master to many other great devotees, like Prahlad Maharaj. There's a story where um, one of the great demons, Hiranyakashipu, had gone to the mountains to um, meditate so he can get this boon of not dying. And while he was there in the mountains meditating, his wife, um, the demigods came and kidnapped his wife, who was pregnant, with the idea of when the child was born, they were going to kill him because he was going to be, a, they thought he he would be a demon even more powerful and greater than Hiranyakashipu. So Narada Muni immediately intervened and said, no, this this um, child will be a great devotee. And he immediately began speaking Krishna Katha, you know, stories about Krishna to um Prahlad Maharaj's mother, while Prahlad Maharaj was in the womb. So Prahlad Maharaj heard all of this. And when he came, when he was born, he was already born as a great devotee of Lord Krishna. He's also the um, spiritual master for Valmiki, who wrote the Ramayan. So he inspired him to write the Ramayan. He's the spiritual master of Dhruva Maharaj, who... You know, was really upset with his dad, uh, well, actually with his stepmom for um, chastising him for crawling on the lap of his dad and crawling on the crown because his stepmom thought that was her son's place for that. So Dhruva Maharaj, as a young child, went into the forest in the mountains and started to meditate so he could pray and ask for a boon of a kingdom more um, wealthy and greater than his father's. And so he goes into the forest and Narada Muni instructs him on how to meditate and gives him the verse or the mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, to chant. And Dhruva Maharaj then becomes very liberated. And when he finally gets the honor of meeting Krishna, um, 
he's so overwhelmed with love and devotion that he says, I don't want anything. I just want your, your, you know, I just want to be at your lotus feet. And that's the power of Narada Muni. But that's the power of taking instruction from a pure devotee who's dedicated his life to serving Krishna is that we can also gain that type of love and devotion as well. And that's Narada Muni's job, right? Like that's all he does. He, he was cursed to never be in, a, in any place for longer than, you know, like a day or, you know, um, so he was, he was, he was also, he always has to be roaming around. And that's what he does. He roams around and he chants Krishna's glories and he spreads Krishna consciousness wherever he goes. And the, um, so we know that Narada Muni is very great. Even in, um, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says in 1026, of the sages among the demigods, I am Narada. And Narada Muni's main message from the Narada Pancharatra is that if one worships Lord Krishna and considers him the goal of life, then there is no need to execute severe types of austerity. And if after executing all kinds of tapasya one cannot reach Krishna, then all his tapasya has no value, for without Krishna consciousness, different types of austerities are wasted labor. So, you know, that's the message he's going everywhere chanting. Um, he even has the honor of having a role in Chaitanya Lila. He plays Srivas Thakur. So we can understand that Narada Muni is a very great and exalted um, devotee. In the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam 4.31.3, Prabhupada says, The great sage Narada travels everywhere. He goes to the demons and the demigods and is equally respected. He is consequently described herein as Surya Suryade, worshipped by both demons and by demigods. For Narada Muni, the door of every house is open. Although there is perpetual animosity between the demons and demigods, Narada Muni is welcomed everywhere. Narada is considered one of the demigods, of course, and the word Devarshi means the saintly person among the demigods. But not even the demons envy Narada Muni. Therefore, he is equally worshipped by both by demons and by demigods. A perfect Vaishnava's position should be just like Narada Muni's, completely independent and unbiased. He's trusted by demigods and demons alike, so he's able to meet with either of them. And, you know, I, growing up, I used to watch um, Bollywood movies, and there's a few, that, like one that I really remember a lot, it's called Gopal Krishna, it's the story of Krishna. And in that, you know, Narada Muni comes to Kamsa, you know, they depict him with his vena, and he's always chanting, Narayana, Narayana. And he goes to Kamsa and he tells Kamsa, you know, you're at um, his sister Devaki's wedding, that, you know, the eighth child of Devaki and her husband Vasudev are going to kill you. So um, immediately, you know, Kamsa gets scared and fearful and, and angry and says, and then he imprisons, you know, his wife, his sister and, and her, his new brother-in-law. And then proceeds to kill every child um, that is born, even though he knew only the eighth child would be the one that kills him. 
And when, you know, if you read Krishna past times, you can learn more about how um, the seventh and eighth child, Krishna and Balram, escape. So they escape, they're living in Vrindavan, and Narada Muni comes and tells Kamsa, well, you didn't kill them, they escaped, they switched places. You know, you killed something, somebody else. And, you know, I was watching this and I was like, why is he telling him? He's such a troublemaker, Narada Muni, right? Like, why is he, you know, and there's a few other movies where he would go to the demon and, like, tell them secrets. And I'd be like, why is he such a troublemaker? He's such an instigator. But that's exactly what his role is. He's an instigator. He makes it so that Krishna comes or in one of his forms, um, you know, so... With Prahlad Maharaj, we saw that, you know, he instructed Prahlad Maharaj in the, on the glories of Krishna. And Prahlad Maharaj became a great devotee, but his father, Hiranyakashipu, was a great demon and completely against Krishna. And so when Prahlad Maharaj would, you know, chant Krishna's glories, um, Hiranyakashipu would get very envious and think, well, nobody's more powerful than I am. And because of that, you know, there's, it's very like subtle but indirect, but because Prahlad Maharaj became a great devotee, and then Hiranyakashipu became very like envious and angry, Narsingadev appears to save Prahlad Maharaj. So the actions of Narada Muni indirectly cause Narsingadev to appear. Even if we read prior to all of this story about um, Kamsa imprisoning his sister, and brother-in-law, you know, you learn about all the mischief Kamsa is doing on the planet, but he's doing it under the guidance of Narada Muni. Like he's, Narada Muni's like, oh, go defeat this demon and do this. And, you know, and he's causing such havoc that Krishna has to come down, right? Krishna says um, in 4.8, to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants, as well as to reestablish the principles of religion, I myself appear millennium after millennium. So, you know, Narada Muni's function in a way is to, you know, rile up the miscreants so that they harass the devotees and that really makes Krishna come down um, to earth. And it, you know, as I got older, I understood this subtlety, but it, you know, I just kind of laughed about how um, even in India, they look at Narada Muni as a big troublemaker or a gossip monger or instigator. But the thing they don't realize in India sometimes is that what is he instigating? He's instigating the love of Krishna. I don't know. I found this story. I don't know the source. Um, so, you know, maybe take this story with a grain of salt. But I like the illustration here is, you know, he's Narada Muni is sitting and talking with Vishnu, Lord Vishnu, and he's telling him all the people that he's tricked or, you know, like he told this person and they became envious. And um, Vishnu, Lord Vishnu asks Narada Muni, why do you cause so much trouble? And Narada Muni's response is, I don't do anything. I merely test their faith in you. If they were your true devotees, would any of them be lustful, wrathful, greedy, envious, frightened, or proud? So by, you know, like by telling Hiranyak or by teaching um, Krishna consciousness to Hiranyakashipu's son, he teaches, um, 
He creates this environment that um, causes Hiranyakashipu to be envious and you know fearful and want to exert his power. But really, that's Hiranyakashipu's actions, right? He's just saying, you know, Krishna's great, but it's it's Hiranyakashipu's own pride and envy that creates the animosity. Um, just like, you know, when he tells Kamsa, hey, you're the eighth child, your eighth nephew is going to kill you. You know, Kamsa could be like, okay, well, that's my fate. In the meantime, let me, you know, um, spread good everywhere, do as much good as I can. But instead, he gets fearful, right? He gets proud, like, what? I'm a powerful demon. How can some child kill me? Um, so, you know, that's all he's doing is pointing out these different flaws that we have as um, humans, as, you know, conditioned living entities that are in the material world. And we here, we're here because we don't have control over these actions. Um, let's see. In Bhagavad Gita 262 to 263, Krishna says, While contemplating the objects of the senses... A person develops attachment for them. From such attachment, lust develops. And from lust, anger arises. From anger, complete delusion arises. And from delusion, bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And when intelligence is lost, one falls down again into the material pool. So this is how it happens. We're attached to something, you know, some material possession, to our... to the um, object of our senses, whatever it is, we're attached to it. And that attachment creates lust. We want more. We want, we desire power, um, wealth, right? So if we have more money, we can have more things. If we have power, we can, you know, have different things. So that creates that kind of lust. And when we don't get it, it leads to anger. And when we get angry, it's we get easily led into delusion and our memory becomes bewildered. And when the memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And then we fall down back into the material world and we repeat this over and over again. There's so many verses that really talk about this. Um, like in 1621, and Bhagavad Gita Krishna says, there are three gates leading to hell, lust, anger, and greed. Every sane person should give these up for they lead to the degradation of the soul. So we can see again that, you know, lust is, it's kind of the heart of what we are doing. I didn't write, I didn't write this one down, but I was thinking about it, you know, Krishna says to Arjuna, it is lust only, right, that keeps us entangled, that keeps us in this material world. So we really have to conquer lust. And you know, lust is really tied into ego. It's tied into, um, you know, wanting to control things, wanting to have power, wanting to feel valued. It's all kind of like it kind of stems from that lust. And when we, um, in 1851-1853, Krishna says, being purified by one's intelligence and controlling the mind with determination, giving up the objects of sense gratification... Being freed from attachment and hatred, one who lives in a secluded place, eats little, controls one's body, 
mind, power, and speech, who is always in trance, who is detached, free from false ego, false strength, false pride, lust, anger, and acceptance of material things, free from false proprietorship and peaceful. Such a person is certainly elevated to the position of self-realization. I mean, this is like an amazing goal to try to achieve, right? To to be free of all these things that kind of keep us miserable. Um, you know, free from attachment and hatred, especially, right? Um, and they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like Like we talked about, attachment leads to lust, and lust leads to... So many different things, but it can also lead to envy and hatred. And, you know, we talk about, we, we've mentioned before the importance of associating with devotees. But the um, problem with associating with devotees is that we can easily commit offenses to each other because we get real familiar or we can, you know, when you hang out with people, um, you can make offenses, you could, you know, somebody could offend you, somebody could say something, and then, you know, your mind takes it into so many different places. And we all, when we all, um, associate together, there's more risk of that. Like we have, especially in a big community, we have our friend circle, but then we have people that are, you know, a little bit outside of our friend circle, acquaintances, and not, we won't get along with everyone. I mean, it's just not possible that we're gonna get along with everyone. Right? And so, Part of that reason is this idea that, you know, this is me, this is mine, somebody who makes me feel good and lifts me up, they're my friend, and somebody who makes me feel bad and brings me down, they're not, and, you know, but it actually, um, we're all servants of Krishna. And in Bhagavad Gita 6.9, it says, A person is considered further advanced when they regard honest well-wishers, affectionate benefactors, the neutral, mediators, the envious, friends and enemies, the pious and the sinners, all with an equal mind. So that is our goal, like to see everyone as an, with an equal mind, as servants of Krishna, whether or not you know we know it or not. Um, even further, if we read Bhagavad Gita 629-32, Krishna says, A true yogi observes me in all beings and also sees every being in me. Indeed, the self-realized person sees me, the same Supreme Lord, everywhere. For one who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me, I am never lost, nor are they ever lost to me. Such a yogi who engages in the worshipful service of the Supersoul Knowing that I and the Supersoul are one, always remain, remains always in me in all circumstances. One who is a perfect yogi, who by comparison to their own self, sees the true equality of all beings in their, in both their happiness and their distress. O oh, Arjuna. So the point here is that, you know, everyone, if we start to see everyone and everything connected to Krishna, then what is the question of enemies and friends and, you know, um, well-wishers and sinners? Because everyone's connected to Krishna. And in one way or another, you know, either we're serving Krishna directly and we're um, connected through the spiritual energy, or we're serving um, Maya, the material world, and we're connected to Krishna through his material energy. 
So in one way or another, every single one of us are serving Krishna. And a true devotee sees that, sees the equality in that. Um, you know, Krishna even says, you know, he's friend to all, but one who has taken on the path of devotional service is very dear to him. So it's the same way, right? One who's taken on the path of devotional service is very dear to other devotees. And one who is not is still, you know, a devotee is still friends to them um, in the sense that there's no envy, there's no judgment, there's no, um, you know, maliciousness. It's all like filled with love. It's infusing every one of our actions with love to everybody. And this is the point here that that's how Narada Muni is, right? He's friends with demons and demigods and everybody welcomes him and he's he's unbiased. He doesn't play like favorites. His only favorite is Krishna and he does whatever it takes to spread Krishna consciousness and bring Krishna to everyone. There's a story I was reading um, about um, Narada Muni. He is up in the spiritual world, I guess, by Kunta, and he's serving Lakshmi Devi. And Lakshmi Devi is very pleased with his service and grants him a boon. She says to him, ask me anything you want. And he, he first makes her promise, okay, well, what I want is that when I, what I ask of you, you will give no matter what. And she says, okay. And so he asks for the remnants of Lord Narayan. You know, the, the prashadam, the mercy, the um, food mercy of the Lord. And immediately, Lakshmi Devi becomes distressed. And she's like, wait, no. I, uh, Narayan, you know, just asked me a couple of days ago to promise him that I would not give his prashadam, his his maha remnants to anybody. I don't know what to do. And he's like, you know, Narada Muni's like, but you promised me that you would give me whatever I asked for. So she's very distressed. And, you know, the next day during lunch, Lord Narayan notices that she's very distressed. And so she tells him her dilemma that I made this promise to you but Narada Muni, you know, extracted this boon from me, and this is what he requests. And so Lord Narayan said, okay, I will let you this one time, you know, take my uh, Maha remnants and give it to Narada Muni, but do it in such a way that I don't know and I don't see that you're doing it. So Lakshmi Devi follows those instructions, and she gives Narada Muni the uh, remnants. So Narada Muni eats these remnants and he becomes extremely ecstatic. I mean, he already goes around singing Krishna's praises, Narayana, Narayana, right? And now he's like dancing with ecstasy and he's just, it's, you know, not, it's unlike anything before. So Lord Shiva um, sees him like this and he's like, what happened? What, you know, you're usually really, you know, blissful, but this is like next level, right? And so um, he, he says, well, you know, I got this maha prashada, maha remnants of Lord Narayan. And Lord Shiva's like, oh, wow, do you have any left? I'd like some. And immediately Narada Muni felt bad, like he didn't have any left. And he, you know, what happens when we look feel bad? We kind of look down and we look at our hands, right? We don't want to look at the person that we've 
kind of offended. So he looks down at his hands and he notices there's a little bit of, of remnants left in his fingernails. So, you know, he's like, oh, I have just a little bit left. And so he gives that little bit to Lord Shiva. And Lord Shiva gets extremely ecstatic and he starts dancing. And he's dancing so um, powerfully. He starts dancing his dance of destruction. And all the entire material universe starts to get um, scared and they tremble and all the, you know, this is not the time for destruction and Shiva's doing his dance of destruction. So all the demigods get together and they go to um, Parvati Devi, you know, Lord Shiva's wife, and they're like, you have to pacify him. This is not the time for destruction. So she goes to him and she's like, what's going on? Why are you dancing like this? And he, you know, he tells her that I have some, I had some Maha Prashadam from Lord Narayan. And she's like, well, where's mine? Where's my Prashadam? And he's like, you know, there was barely even enough for me. Like, I didn't have any for you. So she immediately gets so angry. And the heat from her anger just starts to burn the material world. And, you know, the, this is now at the point of, like, the fires of destruction are happening, right? Um, and so everybody becomes very, like, distressed again. The whole material universe becomes distressed. So... Lord Narayan comes to see what's going on. And as soon as um, Parvati Devi sees him, she offers her obeisances. And he's like, what's happening? Why are you so angry? What can I do to calm you down? And he said, she said, well, you know, they got Mahaprasadam. I would like some Mahaprasadam as well. And he's like, okay, I will give you as much Mahaprasadam as you want. And she says, well, that's not enough. You know, every living entity needs to have Mahaprasadam. Not just me, all of my children need to have Mahaprasadam. It's not just, you know, a few people. So Lord Vishnu agrees. He says, okay, to fulfill your desire, I will appear in Nilachal Dham. My temple will be famous for distributing my prasad. Whoever takes my prasad will be liberated. And this is how we have the Lord appear in Jagannath Puri. And his great um, form is Jagannath. And why the prasadam of Jagannath Puri is so powerful. Because this is actually the remnants of Lord Narayan, his food stuff. And it's because of Parvati Devi's request that we have this great um, gift that you know we can take advantage of. But it's not just that, it's through Narada Muni's actions, right? If Narada Muni hadn't requested it and didn't pass it on to Lord Shiva, who then, you know, disappointed Mother uh, Parvati Devi and not having enough for her, we would not have this great boon of having, you know, Lord Narayan's prasadam in the form of Jagannath Puri Mahaprasad. And so again, this is Narada Muni's job, this is his duty in in the material world, is to spread Krishna consciousness in these different ways. And so the big lesson we can learn from him is that we want to spread this Krishna consciousness to everyone in, um, everywhere and do it with love and tranquility and joy in our hearts and not with you know contempt and judgment and you know, we want to be compassionate. 
Um, and the way to achieve that, because it's not easy to do. Sometimes when our ego gets bruised, it's really easy to, to, you know, get caught up in that, to what we're feeling, that so-and-so offended me and made me feel bad. And it's harder to think of, well, they're just struggling with their own karmas and their own traumas. And, you know, in that moment, that's what we have to do is learn to be compassionate and empathetic to the other person. And the way to kind of keep with that is to constantly engage in Krishna's service, right? Chanting our rounds every day, a prescribed number of rounds that's mantra meditation, you know, eating prasadam that we um, prepare and offer or somebody else prepares and offers for us or we can offer somebody else's preparation. But the idea is that we eat prasadam. Read from Srimad Bhagavatam, associate with each other, um, and work and think of spreading that love and opening our hearts up to people to spread love. So that's what I have for today. What questions do you have for me? So the comment is that she liked that I um, use the word instigator to describe Narada Muni, and another word is catalyst. And actually, it's funny because I actually have the word catalyst here in my notes. I just didn't say it. <laughs> yes, Nan. Right? It is. It's a. It is a big doubt. Why would he do that? You know. But when you read further into it, superficially, he looks like a troublemaker, and you know, he's he's giving intel to you know the bad guys, um, and then he goes to the good guys, the demigods, and gives them intel's on the. The demons, and you know, in this way, he kind of keeps things churning. But it's a test, and when we look deeper, we see that you, you know, he's doing all of this to to test people's faith, but also to bring Krishna. You know, yes, Nandini, right, exactly. So the comment is that she receives um, this text from a friend of hers that asks, "What's the difference between?" Um, being love and being in love. And her response is that, you know, when we're being love, when we're emanating love, you know, we're in touch with that Krishna um, consciousness and we're emanating light and, and love everywhere and we're and people want to know what we're doing. And that's a great point because it's always about leading by example. Um, and, right, changing consciousness. Um, because, you know, like... I've mentioned this before. I'm not really good at, at quote unquote, um, preaching Krishna consciousness, right? Like I don't feel comfortable going out and on books and knocking on strangers' doors and talking to people that are strange, um, because I see my role as being more of, of leading by example, and you know they they call it being a um, lighthouse, right? When you're a lighthouse. The boats come to you because you're shining your light. But, you know, if you're, um, like, you know, shining a flashlight at different people, you're looking for them or looking, you know, shining a spotlight, you're looking for them. Whereas if you're a lighthouse, they're looking for you. And um, it's not easy to do, but it's it's the goal. And that's exactly what Prabhupada wanted us to do. He says, for each and every one of us to become like a spiritual master, because 
what are the qualities of a spiritual master is the quality one number one quality is that they are perfect disciple and what makes us perfect disciples of Srila Prabhupada is you know following his instructions chanting um, reading associating eating prasadam um, and spreading the message of Krishna consciousness in our capacity so and everybody's capacity is by example. And then on top of that, they can do other things, but the example is the most important. Because if, you know, if I'm telling somebody, um, well, you know, don't watch TV, and then I'm watching TV, well, they're going to be like, well, you're doing it. So I usually don't tell people that, because I do watch a lot of TV. Um, but, you know, I do acknowledge that it's it's a flaw that I need to improve on. Um, and whereas, you know, there are other things that I'm better at um, following and doing, then, yeah, I'm going to feel a little bit more comfortable of telling people, you know, chant your rounds, because I chant my rounds. But also, it's not just that for me. It's also like understanding the difficulties and challenges that each and every one of us have um, that that really needs to be overcome to in order to engage in these activities. And I say that with a grain of salt too, because it's not really the difficulties and challenges that need to be overcome, it's our mindset and what our priorities are. Um, so, you know, someone that's not chanting 16 rounds, it doesn't necessarily mean that their priority is not um, attaining Krishna consciousness. It's more that they're working through some other difficulties in their mind that's preventing them from seeing and being able to complete this. So instead of telling someone, oh, you should be chanting 16 rounds, I can't believe you're not chanting, and you know your guru would be so disappointed, it's better to approach them like, you know, what's going on? How can I, how can I support you? What can I do to help you? Um, what challenges can I help you overcome? And even then, it might just be getting them to like, you know, four or eight rounds or helping them chant whatever rounds they're chanting, but better quality, right? So it's realizing that we each have our own struggles and we, it's really important to not judge them, judge other people for their struggles and remaining, you know, in this um, connected to Krishna, realizing that they're also connected to Krishna. All right. So if there are no other questions, I'll end here. Darantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Jai. Jai.